Welcome, my friends, to The Eyes of Mara, a new miniseries from Those Happy Places, all about Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? <laughs> what? We are on a journey into, around, through, and hopefully eventually out of the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. And that means that we're going to be covering a lot about this iconic Disneyland Adventureland attraction. Yes, I am so excited to talk about this ride with you. It is one of my all-time favorite rides or attractions or experiences ever made. I can talk for hours about it, and in fact, I think we should. Yeah, and, and we will. You know, uh, this is this is a ride that, in my opinion, is an all-timer, uh, a classic, something that adds so much depth to the park, something that represents a kind of second era of Adventureland, or maybe even like a third era of Adventureland. Um, you know, some some real like interesting life to that idea of the adventure film coming to life uh, in a way that, you know, some of the more quaint attractions in Adventureland, like the Jungle Cruise or Enchanted Tiki Room, just really don't capture uh, this is an important and magnificent attraction. It is easily top five, sometimes top three, uh, depending on how I feel. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an absolutely stunning piece of uh, design and art and experience that I, I think it's really good that we're going to dedicate the next four episodes just to this attraction because um, it so much went into it, into the design and so much is happening in the ride itself that it really does take some time to to break it down um it, it is so it's so fun and so immersive that instantly became a classic the minute that it opened and it continues to be a huge favorite uh judging by the uh ride wait times it continues to be a huge favorite for a lot of people yeah, I don't often see it drop beneath an hour in uh, in queues. And that's pretty impressive for a ride that opened in 1995, uh, just in time for the park's 40th anniversary. Uh, and I think the the theme for the 40th anniversary was 40 years of adventure. Uh, I seem to remember having merchandise from that. Uh, and Indiana Jones was all over that merchandise. This was like the marquee attraction of the 40th. Um, which is a, kind of an interesting moment in Disneyland history, uh, a time that I remember in, you know, fits and starts and in images, um, but it, definitely an interesting time for the parks where it's still very much a locals park, but it hasn't gone through that awkward 2000s phase. You know, it's still just one theme park. Um, there is no Disney California adventure. They haven't even broken ground on it yet. Uh, and the park is expanding, but it's, it's expanding inward and in really interesting ways. So I'm excited to talk about what was happening at that time and what we ended up with in this episode that we're calling history and development, or you seek the future. I will lift the curtain of time. It is your destiny. Oh, no, Mara, no. <laughs> Sorry, the, the spirit of Mara flowed through me, and I, I just had to do the line from the ride. I'm sure Mara uh, will make multiple appearances in this <laughs> miniseries. Um, now, our path does lead through the Gates of Doom, but before that, we have to understand how these Gates of Doom got constructed. And I think that actually takes us back all the way to 1986 with the first collaboration in the theme parks between Disney and Lucasfilm. 
Right. So the very first time that Disney and Lucasfilm collaborated on a project specifically for the theme parks was with the 1986 film Captain EO, starring none other than Michael Jackson. Uh, Directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, using technology from Industrial Light and Magic and Lucasfilm, puppets by the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Uh, a 3D IMAX film that ran on and off at Disneyland itself until 2014, Alice. It's true. It ran <laughs> um, through the end of the 80s, it well into the 90s, went away for a little bit, and then came back after Michael Jackson passed away uh, and ran for another four years in the park. Um, it is nestled in Tomorrowland. The, the IMAX theater is nestled in Tomorrowland between some big ticket attractions. That theater was used for a lot of things and has been used for a lot of things over the years. And one of those things is Captain EO, which uh, is pretty good, actually. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty solid uh, 3D IMAX film with some, you know, b-side michael jackson tracks and some pretty good direction and choreography and of course there's fun special effects because it's a it's a lucasfilm joint um it does boggle the mind that this was the last big thing in that theater specifically uh there was honey i shrunk the audience after the first run of captain eo and then captain eo came back for four years and since then, the space has been used essentially as a promotional area uh, to show trailers and supercuts of either Star Wars or other kind of science fiction-y films coming out yeah. from the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, Star Star Wars, some Marvel occasionally, um, and, and other, other movies like uh, Big Hero 6 or Tomorrowland itself. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrowland preview in Tomorrowland. Um <laughs> And uh, and so that that collaboration between Disney and Lucasfilm was very, very popular and led to um, a handful of other collaborations that they did. Um, now, of course, Disney owns Lucasfilm and they do lots of collaborations, but our they're first... basically a constant collaboration now. <laughs> right. But our first collaborations included Captain EO followed swiftly by Star Tours, which is another one of our favorite rides, one we talk about all the time. Star Tours 1987. It's an all timer. It's a it's a classic. It's top five or top three, depending on how I'm feeling, given the day. Uh, <laughs> it's a really good attraction. It's, it's a really good ride and it has a special place in my heart. And I think. The importance of it in this conversation is that it kind of introduces the like live the movies format into the parks through Lucasfilm. Like there's a lot of rides at Disneyland that are about riding through your favorite films, right? That's most of the dark rides in Fantasyland. You ride through the plot of your favorite film in like a truncated format. Yeah, but I feel like with Star Tours, the difference is that this is a much more three-dimensional, you know, simulator-type, uh, thrilling take on flying down the Death Star Trench and through a comet um, and never making it to the Endor moon. You know, like, <laughs> it's it's kind of a uh, much more immersive three-dimensional take on it all instead of kind of being a, a standard dark ride, which is kind of more of a picture book format, right? Showing you scenes from the film. This is more like live Star Wars. Star Tours is your chance to live the adventure. Right. And it did it on such a grand scale that like even while you're waiting in the queue to ride on Star Tours, there is a full size space shuttle there 
like for you to look at. It's the the Star Tours transport ship is in is there. You yeah, can, it's the, you the can... Star Speeder three thousand, Alice. Uh, we yes. all know about the Star, the yes, Star Speeder three thousand. The Star uh, Speeder <laughs> three thousand, which is sat and you can walk right past it and see like how big is the spaceship we're about to get on. And there's your friend C three PO and R two D two communicating with the crowd and passing on information on, on what you're about to do and 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 so the scale of the thing is massive and it really is a, an, an early example of how Disney and, and Lucasfilm together specifically um, could create something on such a scale that um, the ride becomes more immersive as a as a result. Yeah, I mean, Star Tours in many ways feels like a the first whack at it, where where Captain EO is kind of like, yeah, a bunch of people who know what they're doing can get together and make a cool movie that's about 10 minutes in length that can make a good attraction at Disneyland. Like, that's no biggie. But Star Tours is like a, a kind of a revolutionary attraction. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I was watching Inside the Attraction on Disney+, Plus, and there's a whole episode about it. And what I never realized is the, the level of technology that was used just to project the film onto the simulator uh the innovation that had to be done for that you should definitely check out that episode if you want to know more about star tours but really the point here is we are building the impossible when disney and lucasfilm are working together right we are building these full-scale lived-in environments that you can walk through and then ride through and star right. star tours really feels connected to what will eventually become the indiana jones adventure in many ways Right. And so that brings us to the third collaboration between Disney and Lucasfilm, which was the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, which opened at what used to be the MGM Studio Park, which is now the Hollywood Studio Park in Florida. And the Epic Stunt Spectacular opened in 1989. It is a it's exactly what it says on the tin. It is a stunt show. It's a really cool show where actors dressed as Indiana Jones and other characters from the film series um, perform really cool stunts and tell like a quick Indiana Jones adventure story for you live in action right there where you sit and watch. Yeah, I haven't been to uh, what was formerly known as MGM Studios or Hollywood Studios since, you know, the 1990s. Um, but I have watched film of this show, which is still uh, very much alive and thriving and popular. Uh, and the the one that always comes across my feed is actually the one where it's Indiana Jones and also Star Wars. It's like a special engagement. So, so at cool. one point, Indiana Jones is fighting a Nazi and he like pulls out a lightsaber and they have a lightsaber duel as well. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, they do the scene with the plane from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They don't kill the guy with the propeller like they do in Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. That would be uh, so gruesome. <laughs> but they do have the plane and it rotates the way it does like to, to be a, a set piece that they fight around and then it does explode. Um, so which cool. Is, which is pretty awesome. Uh, you know, as far as stunt shows go, I think I might still prefer Waterworld, the live Seaworks <laughs> Spectacular. Um, but, you know, only by a hair, you know, and only because probably I'm, I'm just nostalgic and, and more familiar with it. <laughs> uh, it. It is an interesting stunt show and it's still very popular to this day. Right. And it was it was so popular when it originally came out that uh, Walt Disney Imagineering and George Lucas collaborated once again to create a different Indiana Jones themed attraction, this time for California. And that is what became the Indiana Jones Adventure, which was originally called 
Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Um, and I, is, I continue to prefer that name, Alice. I also prefer Temple of the Forbidden Eye, uh, but it is just called Indiana Jones Adventure now. Um, but uh, they broke ground for the attraction in uh, August 1993, and it opened to the public in Disneyland on, in March 1995. It's a pretty quick turnaround for such a big uh, for such a big attraction. And yeah. it is really a massive attraction. They had to take out a big chunk of a of a parking lot <laughs> in Anaheim to uh, to build this show building um, into into the parking lot, and because uh, they've run out of space in Adventureland, they had to expand outward a little bit. Yeah, uh, it, it boggles the mind to realize that the Indiana Jones Adventure sits on what was once the Eeyore lot. Um, like that this was once such a mundane part of the operational necessity of Disneyland having a parking lot. Uh, it's hard to believe on like multiple levels. It's hard to believe because now it's this amazing attraction. It's hard to believe because everything that used to be Disneyland's parking lot is now California Adventure, you uh -huh. know, it's sister park. Um, it's hard to believe because, you know, Disneyland simply has not been that way for now almost our entire lives. Like, I seem to remember a parking lot in front of Disneyland. I, I feel like when I reach back into the Mind Palace, there's something there. Um, but, you <laughs> know, we were, we were very young. Uh, mm -hmm. And by the time California Adventure, you know, they broke ground on that and started building it across the way, uh, the parking lot started to become a, a distant memory. Uh, and so it's so odd that Indiana Jones Adventure, which is now smack dab in the middle, kind of, between the two parks, uh, was the edge of Disneyland and absorbed parking lot to become itself. <laughs> it is it is wild to to imagine just the, the scale of how much Disneyland has changed. I remember the parking lots uh, very clearly. We... Um, my parents always framed the uh, tram ride journey through the parking lot as the first and last ride at, <laughs> uh, at Disneyland. Oh, we get um, to go on the tram again. Yay, Yay. the tram again. And, uh, and let's go find the car. And um, <laughs> that was always like a part of our day. Um, I remember the parking lots all being named after different characters. And I do remember the Eeyore parking lot, but not not too clearly. Yeah. Um, and but. But boy, do I remember the Indiana Jones ride. I remember, <laughs> I remember being terrified of the Indiana Jones ride. Um, it was it was so scary to me when I was when I was very, very young. And that, I think, is um, a, a testament to the design elements of the ride. They worked really, really hard on this ride. Um, you know, two years of development. They um, uh, with 400 different Imagineers working on on the ride with like a core team of about 100 people working on it consistently that entire time. Um, and all of that work and all of those people doing the work, it totally shows. The ride is very, very intricately um, constructed. There is no detail left you know, unpolished. It's it's really, really good. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of ways, uh, you know, the, the finished product feels like a huge jump forward from Star Tours. I mean, we're talking about, you know, between 87 and the opening of the attraction in 95, uh, only eight years of refinement in the Imagineering process. And to see how far things had come and how, for lack of a better word, modern the ride was and is in terms of design philosophy. I mean, Alice, 
we'll get there in a future episode, but there are entire subplots and stories told simply through set uh, in the in the queue. There's mm-hmm. just pieces of writing, uh, recorded messages played over the radio, um, you know, the maroglyphics, which again, we'll get there. Um, th- <laughs> there's so much. It's so rich. It's so dense. It spoils its writers with its density to the point where, you know, even the most immersive rides of its time uh, seem quainter by comparison. Give Indiana Jones and, for example, our number one most favorite ride all the time, never stop praising it, or the Omnimover, the the Haunted Mansion. Give (laughs) them, you know, side-by-side comparisons. And one of them is doing sophisticated things and telling stories in ways that are precise and missable, but also unmistakable. Uh, And the other is setting a mood in an impeccable way, but one of them is clearly a little bit more designed for the future. And I feel like that ride is actually Indiana Jones. I agree. It uh, designed for the future is a really good way to put it. It um, ran and has been running consistently since it opened in 95. It only has closed down for a very short, like four month period of time in 2012 for extensive refurbishment. It closes every once in a while for, you know, to to for repairs. But it 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 doesn't. It hasn't shut down for longer than than a couple months at a time ever since it opened almost 30 years ago. Yeah, I seem to remember a, a, a modest refurb in like 2020, kind of after the park shut down. They took it as a chance. Uh, it, it didn't reopen with the park, maybe something like that. But it was yeah. it was brief. Um, and yeah, now it's a, a daily runner. Uh, and it's absolutely a valid rope drop option. Uh, oh, fact, I agree. In fact, it it maybe should be. I feel like you're you're getting a little bit more bang for your buck uh, over like rope dropping Rise of the Resistance, for example. Um, but that's a that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> this is not a touring plan show. Uh, okay. Um, now, what we got was really good. You and I agree. Yes. What we got was downright revolutionary. I mean, we we have these ride vehicles that are uh, totally unique for their time. Uh, we've got these special effects that are mind blowing to this day. But what we got is not necessarily the only concept that was imagined for this attraction. Right. The original concept for this ride um, called Indiana Jones and the Lost Expedition, um, which would have been held in a building 10 times bigger than what was ultimately built. <laughs> can you imagine? Times. Can you imagine? No. It's already a huge show building. I actually cannot imagine a ride of that scale. 10 times bigger. It was supposed to be so big that both the Disneyland Railroad and the Jungle Cruise would have passed through it. And there even was at some point a... Um, a suggestion that the Disneyland Railroad and the Jungle Cruise had stop-off points within the attraction so that people could get off the Jungle Cruise instead of making like a full circle oh could take gosh. the Jungle Cruise <laughs> into the Indiana Jones queue and then hop off and then or or hop, get off of Indiana Jones and get on to the Jungle Cruise and <laughs> imagine, finish the Jungle Cruise ride. Imagine if you will. <laughs> Uh, the ability to say, ah, yeah, my Jungle Cruise ends here. I'm going to go on the new ride. Uh, like, that's... 
Uh, clearly, mm-hmm. this was an ambitious period over at Imagineering. Absolutely. And we have an echo of that um, now where the uh, exit queue for Indiana Jones um, goes right next to the Jungle Cruise. You can see the Jungle Cruise boats as as you leave the queue. They are intimately connected and you can see the Indiana Jones show building from your boat when you're on the yeah. Jungle Cruise. They are very close together. Yeah, there's still a little bit of um, narrative interplay as well where the skippers will say, oh, look, that's the Lost Expedition of Indiana Jones. They might even say Lost Expedition in their spiel, which I think is very funny. Um, yeah. And they, they kind of give a, a, a little summary of the ride as you pass by. And, you know, you wave to the people. Uh, usually the crates, I think the crates say danger. So, uh, you know, the, the skipper joke is like, look out, there's danger ahead. And then they shine their flashlight on the crates. It says we're danger on it. Yeah, it's funny. It's cute. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's still a relationship there and it does feel like they are, they are of the same, you know, they're, that's what's so great about Adventureland plus Indiana Jones is that for all of its faults, and there are many faults, the Jungle Cruise and Indiana Jones match. They they really look good next to each they other. They do. They do, and they they match the same like time period. Uh, they they kind of meet kind of similar aesthetic, you know, ideals. They 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 go well together. Yeah, and and that's really cool. But I, I have seen this uh, concept art maybe five hundred times, and every time I see it, I retweet uh, of the central cavern of the Temple of the Forbidden Eye with Mara's enormous skull weeping lava into a pool of lava while a jeep ride passes underneath on a rope bridge and a minecart ride passes overhead on tracks and you can see the jungle cruise taking a little jaunt through the building (laughs) and you can see the train and you're like, what could have been? I mean, this wasn't on attraction at that point. This was a land, right? right. Practically, it was basically going to be Indiana Jones land, and inside, all inside a show building. Um, and yes, there was a proposed like minecart roller coaster that would have run um, through that area as well. So you would have had multiple attractions overlapping in the same spot. The concept art is extremely cool. Um, it was too big. That's too. It was, it was too much. <laughs> well, you you are telling me that based on your research that it would have been ten times larger. Mm-hmm. And we just got through talking about how the important thing about these Lucasfilm uh, and Disney collabs in the eighties and nineties was they were of scale. Uh huh. I mean, what we ended up with was a huge scale project. That central chamber still has a giant skull weeping lava into a pool mm-hmm. and a rope bridge, right? Like, it's still there. It's still this huge thing. So I cannot actually fathom what 10 times larger looks like. And I imagine it would have been the whole parking lot. I guess we wouldn't have had California Adventure. We would have had just Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones Land, which <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, maybe that's a fair trade, you know? <laughs> um but yeah, uh, two attractions running simultaneously as well as uh, interacting with the rest of Adventureland. It's it's incredible to imagine. Right. What we got were these uh, Jeep vehicles on a uh, kind of an innovative track. Uh, there was a lot of computer control involved mm-hmm. uh, that go through this uh, temple adventure 
and Alice actually was the the development of the vehicles that I kind of wanted to talk about next. Right. So the vehicles are they're called EMVs, enhanced motion vehicles, and they're supposed to look like military jeeps. They can each seat 12 passengers and they travel up to 14 miles per hour on top of a slotted guide rail track. Um, And there are 16 of them. And they go every 18 seconds. And so the ride has a, a ride capacity of about 2,400 people per hour, which is huge. That is so yeah. massive. Yeah. Breaking 2,000 means that it's up there as far as Disneyland attractions go. So those long wait lines are not it's not as if they're not moving, you know. Oh, it's just uh, the popularity of the ride, really. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, this throughput is pretty incredible. And these EMVs are, like you said, pretty unique. Uh, they roll around on these, uh, unique, uh, tires that are not filled with air. They are filled with neoprene, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, wetsuit material, um, basically. (laughs) Uh, and this allows the ride to move, uh, very smoothly as well as very precisely. Right. So, the car isn't actually doing a lot of bumping around on the track because the track is entirely smooth and these tires are full of neoprene. So you're really not doing a lot of like bumping like you would in a standard air filled tire car. Instead, the car is simulating any bumping or diving or uh, harsh stopping that you're doing um, through the use of this enhanced motion system, right? Uh, which is a system of computer controlled hydraulics synchronized to the ride that run simultaneous with the action around you. Yes. And the music, not to mention the <laughs> of music. Course. Have we forgotten to mention Sir John Williams himself? <laughs> the original score for the ride um, with this absolutely amazing, amazing score that is also synced perfectly to the to the ride and to the motion of the vehicle. Um, I was reading about the score, actually, just a to quick sidebar here. Um, oh, yeah. The score is each uh, track of the score is timed to how long it should take the Jeep to travel Um, through the scene Um, and there are a couple of stopping points in the ride where you might like idle the jeep for a a few extra seconds if it's like taking a while to um, to start the next jeep um, if there's like a wheelchair transfer or something Um, and so you will idle there for a while and this written into the score is like stalling music and jeep sounds um, and yeah. so it will not start the next track of music until you have crossed that threshold into the next part of the ride. So it, yeah. it is all perfectly timed out exactly as it should be. And all of the sound effects for the ride, it, it all is integrated in the score coming out of the speakers on this Jeep. I actually really love those moments where the Jeep pauses and there's kind of a low hum in the score. It's like a bum. It's like a it's like a breath, right? Like. Uh, it can happen in, um, like, right before the bridge, um, where you, you end up idling there. Mm-hmm. Or it can happen um, before the boulder room. Um, or right before uh, right before the, uh, the, the darts as well. Exactly. It's a really good way to, like, increase tension while still, like, accommodating the fact that the ride might be delayed a little bit. Yeah. So instead of just stopping still and everything going quiet, you still have this like tension building like oh no what's gonna happen when are we gonna start back up again kind of yeah. kind of thing which and is in, built into the ride itself 
Yeah, and importantly, the Jeep never stops feeling like it's running. Uh, except for that time where the engine dies, which is part of the choreography. That's also but, built in, yeah. <laughs> you're right. Uh, but the Jeep uh, is is vibrating as if it is running an old gasoline engine. So there's a lot of just verisimilitude in that. Uh, it's very true to life. It's very believable. When you're on the rope bridge, the vehicle is moving as if you are going over planks on a rope bridge. Uh, an opening scene... Uh, as you as you travel down like the the path of destiny or whatever uh the jeep is supposed to feel like it's floating actually um and that was all possible because of the emv system uh and i think like every day i wake up amazed that the emv exists <laughs> that the emv goes 14 miles an hour that feels and, so fast actually <laughs> right and and that for some reason the emv is actually a rare ride system Right. Yes, this particular ride vehicle system, proprietary to Disneyland, is only used in one other ride in all of the Disney properties, other than the other Indiana Jones adventure, which is in Tokyo. So right. two Indiana Jones rides and one other ride. And uh, <laughs> and our Florida friends will know um, that it is, of course, the ride Dinosaur. <laughs> Dinosaur, uh, which uh, opened as Countdown, uh, Countdown to Extinction. Uh, <laughs> it's in Animal Kingdom in, in uh, Walt Disney World. It opened in 1998. And um, I've been on Dinosaur. Uh, it is <laughs> the, first, the first thing I did when I sat down in the little Jeep and it started moving. The first thing I did was, wait, isn't this Indiana Jones? <laughs> it moves exactly the same it has exactly the same pattern of movement it might as well be the same ride um, i mean yeah it, it is it is entirely rethemed you're in a uh time travel dinosaur jungle instead of a uh forbidden temple um but when you say exactly the same you mean that the track was literally copy pasted it feels like that there's a there's an upward part there's a bit at the end where you think you're gonna get attacked and then you zoom forward to escape you uh -huh. know like what <laughs> like it feels like the boulder scene yeah. um there's you know it's it's um it's more more of a uh, like a pared down version of of Indiana Jones there's no great big uh, bridge to cross over and there's no um there's no 45 foot tall skull of mara um there are pretty neat audio animatronics of various dinosaurs um but it's uh yeah it's like the scaled down version of Indiana Jones but if you are not familiar with Anaheim but you have gone to Orlando and you've ridden dinosaur, then you will be familiar with the um, with the EMV that we're talking about. Our uh, Floridian listeners are shaking, crying, absolutely <laughs> in shambles that you would call dinosaur the pared down version of Indiana Jones. <laughs> well, they just are going to have to come to Anaheim <laughs> and see for themselves because uh, it really is on a whole other level. I like the dinosaur ride. I've been on it a few times. Every time I go to Animal Kingdom, I'll pay it a visit. Uh, it is not the same. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that you said about Dinosaur, formerly known as CTX, Countdown to Extinction, was, I've ridden Dinosaur, and that's all you had to say about it. <laughs> it's uh, fine. It's cute. <laughs> um, I like the cue for it. I love the um, something goes wrong element uh to the story like it's nice uh but it's no indiana jones that's incredible alice i i cannot wait for the angry comments from <laughs> our floridian friends who who feel honestly who feel the same emotional connection to dinosaur that we do to indiana jones that can't be true <laughs> all right that's <laughs> 
he said it so deadly serious. It can't be true because of how much I love Indiana Jones. <laughs> no, um, you don't understand. It's because I'm so in love with you. It's because I'm so in love with Indiana Jones. So love is blind right. to you. <laughs> so what if what if I said what if I offered um what if I offered a uh, like a piece like an olive branch um and, uh-huh. I, and what if i say that expedition expedition everest is twice the ride that matterhorn is oh that, um, that goes without saying it, right, yeah <laughs> i mean like i'm offering i'm trying to throw a bone to animal kingdom here okay well <laughs> you know expedition everest uh will never be the matterhorn but it also does not uh it does not attempt to be and i feel like dinosaur does attempt to capture some of, some of the indiana jones magic um, and I, think I, think, it, I think it fails. I think um, it just it shows the power of theming, right? It um, does. The the difference between them in terms of movement is negligible. The difference between them in the setting, the mood, the tone, the theme, the, the execution, music. and of course the impeccable music by Sir John Williams himself, which I can practically sing like line for line you know <laughs> I what can, i mean like i can totally do it <laughs> i'm uh, hearing the not, chorus in my head <laughs> right i will not like do that now because i feel like that would make bad audio but like yeah i i know the score of the indiana jones adventure the way that i know the score of star tours the power of john williams's work along with the impeccable design of this classic attraction elevate it to levels that go beyond even its really cool ride system. Now, the ride system does have some drawbacks. Uh, I know that it is prone to, like, computer glitches, which force the ride to stop and kind of do a full reset. It mm-hmm. is running on 1990s technology. <laughs> they must have updated it <laughs> when they when they shut shut it down in 2012. Um, but I imagine that the the Imagineers who do maintenance on it have to do like the Jurassic Park like navigate big computer towers inside their computer and like find the file and then like <laughs> the computer hands like open it up. <laughs> I mean, it could, it's an interactive it's, CD-ROM. It's, it's a it's a Unix system. I know this. It could very well be. Um, it does occasionally <laughs> feel like that. There are and there are um, things about the ride, and and we can get into this in a, in a later. We will get into this in a later episode. That the like current iteration of the ride is um, missing a lot of the original effects. There are uh, pieces of the ride that have permanently broken down um, that will not come back. Very similar to the uh, Yeti in Expedition Everest, right? Right. Um, That was too ambitious and too big and will not come back. Um, And no matter how much we really want the ice effect to come back in Indiana Jones, it just won't. Um, (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is. But, um, you know, that's that is a topic for a later episode. We do have an episode uh, coming about the ride as it exists today. Um, But to to talk about it, about the ride as it was formed um, and the like hundreds and if not thousands of little pieces of special effects that happen while you're on this ride and every single teeny tiny moving piece as you drive through on this incredibly cool Jeep through this incredibly cool building, um, in very intricately designed to be as immersive and as exciting as possible. And they really, really did succeed in being able to tell this massive story that 
really couldn't like couldn't be told by anybody else i don't think i think this is a perfect marriage between these two great studios um great storytelling studios um and it is um as much as i love a star tours um i like indiana jones probably better i think uh i think the practical effects and the practical set that you're driving through is more effective than a similarity ride and i think it is um one one of the finer pieces of art in in the disney parks i agree <laughs> there's something about it it's just so it exists in this space between the analog and digital eras uh, a, a relic that seems simultaneously old-fashioned and as new as it can be. And I think, you know, we've gotten since Indiana Jones at Disneyland rides that are a lot like Indiana Jones at Disneyland. There are even, uh, you know, aspects of the ride vehicles system uh, present in things like uh, Radiator Springs Racers, right? Where mm-hmm. the car seems to idle. It will uh, move in additional ways to simulate motion that it's not necessarily doing. Um, which is uh, the same ride system as Test Track, as it, as it were. Um, you know, there are, there are whiffs of it everywhere, uh, including in later Lucasfilm-Disney joint projects that we will absolutely get to in the final episode of this series. But when I say that this is the episode titled you seek the future and then we say this is the ride built for the future i hope that that comes across for all of our laughing and joking about it this is the dawn of a different era of immersive storytelling this is the beginning of a new kind of special effects experience it might be even the best kind of that experience to ever be built you know, your mileage may vary with dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> but I think that it is a 1995 ride. It's a time capsule. It represents the 90s in a lot of ways. Endless optimism. Computers can do anything. Build it bigger. Make it brighter. Make it more real. You know, reality isn't just virtual. But it can also be virtual. Uh, And it, to me, speaks to that moment historically while also speaking to the 1930s, Alice, (laughs) Uh, which is so incredible. And it deserves three more episodes of us talking about it this month. And so I think we shall. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Alice, the next episode of this show and the next leg of our journey through the Temple of the Forbidden Eye is called The Ride as Opened. Glittering gold. It is yours. (laughs) Uh, And next week on Thursday, we will dive back in and see if we can escape with the treasures of Mara. Absolutely. Treasures including original effects and cool facts and stats about the ride (laughs) as it opened um, and some really interesting um, trivia and tidbits about the the ride as it existed in the year 1995. Um, And I can't wait to talk about that with you uh, because this is going to be a really fun miniseries. 
I've been waiting for this miniseries since we announced it many months ago, and I am so excited to be on this journey. But it does sound like this episode is coming to a close. Yes, it is coming to a close, but the conversation about rides, specifically about rides as cool as Indiana Jones, um, continues on the internet. Yes, on the internet. You can find us on Twitter. I'm personally always on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok at Alice White THP for those happy places. And Alice, if our listeners like what we do and want to support us monetarily, how might they do that? Well, they could find a very easy link at patreon.com slash those happy places is the quick and easy way to support us monetarily if that's how you wish to support us. We got bonus episodes and blog posts and uh, all sorts of fun stuff over there. Uh, just go ahead and, and take a look at patreon.com slash those happy places. Now, Alice, I am going to add some music to this episode. And where would you have gotten this music? You know, I haven't found it yet. Uh, I like to find the music based on the mood of the first episode. It will be listed in the show notes, though. And of course, there will be some uh, classic Kevin McLeod tunes in there because this is a Those Happy Places episode, despite the fact that it's a miniseries. Uh, so we'll have some of the, the usuals in there. Uh, all of Kevin's music comes to us from Incompetech.com, is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 Attributions license, which simply requires that we give credit and that you can find the links to the originals in the show notes. And ramping up in the background here, coming in hot, one of our favorite tunes ever... It's Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin. Oh, Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin is one of my favorite songs, and it is the theme song of Those Happy Places. I'm so glad we could add it to this episode. We would like to thank the Feet Warmers for letting us use their music, and you can find more from them at thecaliforniafeetwarmers.com. Alice, I am so excited to be embarking on this journey with you. Yes, I also am excited. Let's put on our expedition hats and dive further into this amazing topic. Thanks for doing this episode with me. I cannot wait. Thank you for doing this episode with me. And to everyone out there, I say this. Tourists. Why'd it have to be tourists? <laughs> <laughs>